Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to Unrestricted. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. I hope you guys all had a wonderful week. My very special guest this week, oh, you Viking fans are probably not going to want to hear this, but my guest this week is 11-year offensive lineman, right tackle for the Green Bay Packers. His name is Mark Tauscher. Mark is a uh, super talented guy now that he's out of football, but you guys are going to love Mark. He's great. Great personality, very insightful, has a lot of great things to say. Uh, he played 11 years with the Green Bay Packers. He was a seventh round draft pick out of Wisconsin and quite an interesting story about that uh, and how he even got to Wisconsin. He was not supposed to go to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He was going to go play a lower level of football and then was discovered playing basketball by uh, one of the scouts there and they asked him to walk on. So he went from walk on to scholarship to seventh round pick out of Wisconsin to the Green Bay Packers. Uh earns a starting spot pretty much right away through injury to the starter and never gave up that spot for 11 years. So it's it's a pretty incredible story. He uh, ended his career with a induction into the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame back in 2018. He's battled through ACL injuries, a myriad of other injuries, um, just a fantastic story of determination, perseverance, and personal development. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy that part of the conversation. He also won a Super Bowl uh, over the Pittsburgh Steelers back in Super Bowl 45, and you're, you're going to hear the personal backstory with that as well. Uh, he now works in broadcasting in the city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He is on with Wild and Tausch. You can find Wild and Tausch 9 a.m. to noon every single day on 100.5 ESPN in Madison and 94.5 ESPN in Milwaukee. So he does that on a daily basis, and he also works for and analyzes uh, Badger football and Packers football on the weekends during the fall as well. So I think that's all you need to know about about Mark Tauscher. So I hope you guys enjoy the 11-year Super Bowl champion, Mark Tauscher on Unrestricted. Uh, what's up, Tausch? How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing well, Ben. It's, uh, it's always good to talk to an old Viking buddy. <laughs> I think it's really is it surprising to you how many people would look at the Packers Vikings rivalry or the Packers Bears rivalry and they're like how can you be friends with those guys like how can you even talk to them they're like your enemy I'm like no they're not no I think it's really changed and I think even from the beginning of my career where we'd play the Bears and it was you know it was always intense and they'd have Fuzzy Thurston and guys come back to kind of let you know about the the amount of vitriol that they had. And I think a big part of that was, you know, nobody ever left anywhere. Yeah. It was always kind of the, you know, Ditka's Bears and, you know, the the way they dominated. I think as things, you know, went more and more, and especially, you know, a bunch of guys, Longwell and Sharper and, you know, Favre, a lot of old Packers seem to go up to Minnesota. So there's obviously it's always going to be an intense rivalry on the field, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, once once it's done, you you also play a lot against these guys, Greenway, yourself, and you know, all those guys, you get to really get an understanding, I think, a respect for what everybody's going through. And, you know, it's it's football. So I, I do think that a lot of times fans look at it a lot more intensely than players do because it's a business and we think we have to see it that way. And the fans look at it strictly, you know, from the enjoyment of watching the game. And the, I guess the fact that you don't want to have your friends be able to have a one up. And I got a lot of family up in Minnesota and it was always just don't lose to the Vikings. That was always kind of the, <laughs> the, the big thing that would get, would resonate with uh, family and friends that live up by you guys. Yeah. It's the same. I, it's all the same here. I mean, we're all, we're all basically cut from the same cloth. I mean, we're, we're neighbors, um, but yeah, I think free agency obviously killed that years ago when guys had the ability to move around the league and there, you didn't have these players that were at one spot. I mean, you were very fortunate, right? I mean, you played with the Packers your whole career, but that was, mm -hmm. the, that was the norm. I mean, that, yeah. back then, that was the norm. So you actually developed these, this hatred. You know, you and Jared Allen could develop a hatred towards each other or, or um, 
you know, somebody, uh, Ray Edwards, you know, on going against you. Like, yeah. I hate that guy. I played against that guy for 10 years and he's just a prick. You know, you could have a real hatred. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think there was always that. And, you know, always, it always for me was the game on the schedule I looked at because that environment was so difficult for offense, especially offensive tackles. It was a nightmare to go up there and you'd have to, it would, Cliffy and I, our left tackle would always talk about how much extra focus you had to have in the amount of just headaches that were caused by, you know, a Jared Allen, Ray Edwards, the guys that were coming off the edge, but that stinking horn and then all the noise and you could, you know, it used to be, you could just hear on third down, it got to be so you know, loud that it would be first and second down and your focus had to be so hard just on getting off on the snap count. The Metrodome was an absolute, just miserable place for us to play in. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I liked the Metrodome was a dump. I think everybody yes. knows that. Um, but the noise in there was crazy loud. Yeah. Now, now that we're done playing, can you admit that they pump noise in there? They did. To my knowledge, they did not. Oh, you have your lawyer. To, to <laughs> my knowledge, I don't think that there is. Nobody's getting incriminated. I swear Ragnar or somebody was there pl pulling those strings, cranking it up and making it even worse because it never there's no place like that from a noise standpoint. It just wasn't. Well, New Orleans was pretty. That was loud. Yeah, I, I yeah, was. I always thought that place, and they would they packed like what twenty more thousand people than we could. I thought that place was legit loud. Yeah, well, domes obviously, and it, maybe it's just because we played up there, and there was always the added intensity, and you know, it always seemed like, with a few exceptions, it came down to, especially when you had AP and in your heyday, it always came down to us for who's going to win the division. So that part of it, but there's also just the little things that. And I don't know if the people do this when you'd come to Green Bay, but you had the steps, right? You'd have where the lunchroom was for the twins and we'd have to walk all the way around. Well, there was a game that I had, I tore my groin and I walked up the steps and they wouldn't let me because there's the shortcut with the skinny steps that you could go right up. And the yeah. security guard wouldn't let me go up with the trainer. He made me go the long way around. I still don't know why I didn't grab a cart. I should have probably done that. But it was always those little mind games that we'd uh, run into whenever we'd come up by you and up in Minnesota. <laughs> I wish it worked more often. Because <laughs> it'd be one thing if you guys could never win at our place. And you're like, yeah, it's all the little things to annoy you guys to get you guys off the game. But no, because you guys had stupid, talented teams all the time, it was always a freaking slog playing against you guys, no matter what. So, yeah, so maybe, maybe we did have the fake crowd noise, but it didn't always work. Yeah, well, I'm glad you at least put a maybe out in front of me. We are always convinced that you did, and nobody's going to tell me any differently that you didn't. But I'll say this. There was always something special about, especially with Mike Sherman's teams and then early in McCarthy's time when I played with him. It was always special to go up to Minnesota because we felt like you guys probably had a six- or seven-point advantage with that crowd noise. And anytime we could win up there, it always just felt extra special. Uh, to find a way to get it done. And that, that was, uh, I know, especially linemen, we always took that, uh, took that when we could find a way to win, it felt extra special getting on the bus heading out of there. Yeah. And you know what? Likewise, we always, we always loved going to your guys's place. And then, you know, you, you hope that you walk away with a W. I mean, for everything that we talked about in the beginning, as far as the fans and, and the, the household rivalries and friends and family and all that stuff. But Look, you guys are a tough out at your place too. And once you once Lambo got all the way bowled in, I used to I used to poo-poo and shit on Lambo because I was like, it's not a loud crowd. It's not hard to play in. Is the history pretty amazing? Yeah. You know, you get there. Is the setting pretty amazing? It feels like you're at a college atmosphere. Yeah, it's really cool. But as far as the in-game play and then and the crowd noise, not that big of a factor. Once you guys bowled that thing in, I gotta hand it to your fans. They get pretty damn loud. That's a tough place to play too. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's there's always been, and I know Rogers always makes this a big point to don't be poking and doing the wave and all the stuff when our offense is on the field because, you know, as I just talked about, 
the that can make a huge difference. And Matt LaFleur has made it, you know, right when he got the job. And I think, I don't know if he talked to some of his veteran players, but that was point A, hey, fans make a huge difference. And there's no doubt with Lambeau getting enclosed and, you know, expanding and doing everything that it did, it has become a much more difficult place to play. And there, there were guys that would tell me that they could hear across the sideline when we, when they were on third down uh, and our defense. And I think our defensive guys, especially the Smiths and those guys, they really made it a big thing to crank up that crowd noise because I mean, you know, better than anybody, how much of an advantage that is for, for a defensive player to be able to have an offense, not be able to communicate and get off on a snap count. That was always the point. And it's good that green Bay has kind of leveled that playing field a little bit. Yeah. You know, this is a question I don't think I can ask a lot of players just because the certain organizations don't have quite the history that the Packers have, you know, the Giants, 49ers, Cowboys. I mean, we can list kind of the blue blood teams, but, and again, maybe this is a little bit of a tricky question because you are a native of Wisconsin and probably, even if you weren't a huge fan of the Packers, you probably just knew them. You knew the history of it. Um, when a new rookie comes into the Packers organization, is there sort of like this orientation of, Hey, this is the history we're going to, we're going to intentionally take you through the hall of fame, you know, make you understand the true foundations to which this, this organization was built on. Do they do that? And do the get, do the yeah, young guys I, have that sense? I can only speak for the time I was there and watching all of our rookies come through with Matt LaFleur. I know that history is always and tradition is always going to be a big part of what Green Bay is about. But I think they've they, they've definitely went a, in a little bit of a different direction. But for us, we always had the Nitschkes, Bart Starr, you know, that 60s era of guys would come through. And I think any time any time that they were in town, that our coaches could let them get in front of us. And the, you know, the banners are up, the posters are up everywhere. You know, when you walk into the locker room, there's the list of the world championships, the 13 that we have, they're all lined up. So it's, it oozes with history. And I think part of the kind of the battle that I think the newer, you know, when new staffs come in is you want to lean into that, but you also have to understand none of that means anything when it comes to winning it this year. And that bad, I think that's always the struggle because you want to, you know, playing in Green Bay, it's going to all be about football. And I think that's where, you know, with the free agency and some of the talk on how important Reggie White was to kind of level that playing field for from a Packers organization standpoint, the tradition and history is what makes our place so special. And so coaches definitely lean into it. They want to make sure that maybe you don't know everything, but you have a great understanding of how this place is and what the expectations are for everybody that puts on that G is what Lombardi in the sixties did. Now you're, are you ever going to catch that? Probably not, but you want to be chasing it. Yeah. You know, you brought up, you kind of alluded to something I think is also unique to green Bay is the size of green Bay. Mm -hmm. Um, did it feel advantageous? Now, I know that you guys had a horseshoe up your ass the last 30 years because you've had two two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, right? I think every we can all admit that, right? You guys have gotten yeah. seriously lucky with two absolute franchise quarterbacks. But you compare to you compare Green Bay, Wisconsin to Houston, Texas, Miami, Florida, you know, now the Las Vegas Raiders, some of these these towns that have lots of distractions. Was it sort of advantageous to have a team that just Hey, there's nothing else to do here. We can go to Shopco, we can go to Pomida, and we can maybe, you know, go hang out at some you know field party and, and have a bonfire, you know? Yeah, no, I I think what's cool about it is that you're gonna be around each other. There's a lot of guys that didn't bring their families with them, and it really is all about football. And you know, you, some guys have their families and they're gonna bring them up there, you're gonna go to school, they're gonna do all that stuff, but afterwards you're not going to some big club. You're going to go and grab Mexican. You're going to go grab, you know, pizza. And as a group, you really stick together. And it's, I think there's a bonding that naturally it almost is forced on you because these guys, you're going to be around your teammates anyways. But I think maybe that circle is bigger because guys are looking for stuff to do. And it's really a collegiate atmosphere you know, it's especially I can just look at our offensive line. 
you know, Frankie Winters and some of the old heads when I first got there, they embraced you. You went out for your Thursday night. You'd go grab some beers. And it was really a it was a family atmosphere. And I think every team is trying to build that. I think it's a lot easier to build in Green Bay because maybe some of your opportunities are limited compared to, you know, Vegas and Miami yeah. and some of those other cities. No, I think it seems like that it would be like that. And it's good to hear you kind of confirm what I what I thought. I I always, you know, kind of had a love-hate relationship with training camp, which a lot of guys did, right? Mm -hmm. And now that the Vikings specifically, and I would say what probably 80% of the league now has having training camp in their own, you know, own home headquarters practice facility. That's the one thing I liked about training camp. As much as you know, when you and I played, it was true training camp. And we can now say, oh, we played back in the day where we had true training camp and it was two a days and two a days actually meant something. Yeah. Um, but it was a time for us to be an hour and a half away from the cities. You're away from your families. You're living in a dorm. Yeah, it sucks. You embrace the suck. But we were going to dinner together. We were having, you know, a beer or two, you know, on a couple of nights, you know, we, we got to hang out in the, in the dorms and we played, you know, Mario Kart. We wouldn't be doing that if we were back in the twin cities after training camp practice, we'd be going to your hotel room or you just go home. Like you wouldn't have this bonding experience that, uh, that you'd have at training camp. So I thought that was special. And I kind of hate that they're going away from that. Yeah. It, it, there is something definite to, you know, a, everybody is going through the same stuff and it does suck. Like, I think the guys that are coming in and I don't want to be like old guy on a cloud yelling and saying how much tougher we had it, but it was a lot harder to play football. It just was when you're talking about, you know, I can remember you come in, you run the gassers, hamstrings are tight. Hey, next day, double days and pads. We're going to do three days of that. And then maybe we'll go down to one a day for a couple and then we'll get back to it. And you think back now and you look at it, God, that's just dumb. It was dumb what we did. And you're you're happy that the game has evolved in a way that the you know player safety and how they're doing it, it just makes a lot more sense. But the idea of everybody kind of coalescing around that, and then for us it was we play backgammon, you play cribbage, euchre, sheep's head, whatever it would be. That's what we did. And then you'd sit out and you'd have guys stringing, you know, strumming the guitar when you're sitting there waiting for curfew. Those are the moments that you know. I don't think any of us miss nine on seven on Wednesdays, uh, you know, practice after you just got done with a Monday night game. But I think all of us miss that camaraderie. And it's when you can ask, you know, you have a lot of players on your podcast. You ask everybody. That's what everybody misses. That and the money. That's what guys miss. The other stuff, you know, it's it's a, it's a job and it's it's hard work. But that stuff, those are the special deals that I think all of us as players really do miss. Yeah. But you specifically, you probably look back at your career and you were probably a guy and much like myself, I needed those practices though. As much yeah. as I think that, yeah, it's probably gotten safer. And I think mm -hmm. there are parts of it that was just, it was nonsensical. They did it just because it was old school. And this is what football is. Football's rough and tough. We have to have tough practices. We got to bang. We got to bang every day with pads on, right? But there's a method to the madness that I think a guy like myself and for a guy like you that, you know, had to earn your way at Wisconsin, um, had to earn your way, you know, still when you, when you got to the league, um, being a seventh round draft pick, you probably needed that development time. Like you needed those padded practices to kind of, okay, well, this is how I get, the, I knock the rust off. This is how I develop one a day practices. A guy like you and I probably wouldn't have made it as long as we did. Yeah. And I think you need the opportunities to showcase what you can do. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of guys now they're, you know, rosters are, you know, there's always a certain amount of guys rosters are set, but I think with the limited amount of training camp and, you know, games and who's playing and who's not, you know, if I didn't get those opportunities to do two a days and to do the preseason games early in my career, Hey, I don't know if I develop into being a player that I could start and play for a while, but also you don't have the coaches see something and you, they don't, you don't even get that opportunity. So for as much as I think it's cr kind of crazy to think back on all of the stuff that we did for a vast majority of our career, there's also the fact injury wise, I don't think injuries are getting less by doing it this way. I think it's smarter and you're staying fresher, but it doesn't seem like the amount of injuries is dropping off a cliff with these guys only going through one a day is compared to two. So the only way you can really 
be a football player is by playing football. All of the other stuff, you have to practice. And there's guys that are elite talents that can get by with one a days and, you know, practicing once a week, the Charles Woodson's. And, you know, I keep coming back to Cliffy because he was so gifted and quick. And for me, it was all about, I had to work and everything had to come from effort and, you know, understanding what was going on. So I definitely needed practice. And as you get older, that's the tough part because you balance staying healthy with being, you know, being sharp enough to still be able to go do your job. And when that, when that balance gets skewed, that's when your time is probably up. Yeah. It's so, it's so refreshing to hear you say that. Cause that's exactly the way I felt too. Like I, I needed to have a good Wednesday, Thursday practice to feel good for Sunday. Like I just, yeah. as, as hard as that was sometimes to get your body and your mind right for a Wednesday practice, you know, especially a Thursday practice, I had to have a good Thursday practice to feel, to feel good about myself going to the game to play fast. And then once you get older and you start dealing with more injuries and you're like, Oh man, I can't, I can't give a hundred percent today. Mm -hmm. You kind of have a bad practice and then things sort of, sort of, sort of slip from there. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, injuries, age, that need for preparation, at least for myself, I could, I don't think that I could ever have been just a one day a week. practice. Yeah, it, day. I, I think it really, you really have to be a special talent. And I don't know if you feel the same way. I mean, to me, 90% of the NFL is interchangeable. You have your 10% of guys on rosters that are freaks that can play in any system that it's going to be the other part. I think it's all about your fit and about whether or not you can gain coaches' trust to keep getting opportunities. And once you get that, then you roll. But there's so much of so much of it's luck to me and also preparation. And when you're not prepared, it's really hard to get lucky when you come when it comes to the NFL. Yeah. You say that, but you were actually pretty unlucky early on in your career. I mean, you you started early because of injury, but then you also had to go through two major knee surgeries and, yeah. and some other tweaks and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, you say that, how did you manage to, to get through all of those tough times knowing that you had to fight for every rep and then you, then you had reps taken away from you because of injury. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was tough. You, you know, everybody wants to, you know, get your first contract out of the way and, and get to it. And unfortunately my timing on blowing my knee out, you know, it never, it's never a great time to do it. And, you know, especially when you're a seventh round pick and you're, you know, you're not the most talented. It's not, you know, I didn't run the fastest. It was all about, you know, just trying to be as productive as I can. And when you're not out there, being available was everything to me because you don't want to give somebody else an opportunity to take your job. And, you know, luckily for me, I had a uh, you know, great training staff and, and people helping with the mental part because the physical part to, you know, rehabbing was never really an issue. That was going to be all right. I want to get my knee bent back to this. I got to get my quad strength. I got to do all this. It was just mentally staying in it to say, I'm going to get back here and I'm going to be able to get this done. So the first time around, it was a lot more difficult because it was, there's so much uncertainty with my career. It could have been mm -hmm. two and a half years. And you know what? Some a young guy comes in, plays well, ah, shucks, moving on. Once I got reestablished and understanding what you needed to do to, to rehab and to, to get back out there, uh, once I got there, I felt great. The last time around, I knew my career was coming to an end. I just didn't want to end it with that. I wanted to make sure I was going to work my tail off, give me one more opportunity to get back out and play. So the first one was really difficult. The second one, surprisingly, even though I couldn't train at the facility, I couldn't do anything, so I had to go back to Wisconsin. I had such a great system, you know, with guys, with strength coach and with some rehab people down here that it actually was refreshing. I could get away from it because I wasn't on the team and give myself an opportunity to get back on the team. Uh, so having great people around made that uh, made the tough times that much easier. Yeah. You know, I was pretty fortunate that I never had anything major, major like that. Um, and probably good thing because I was such a mental midget about about the um the idea that your job is always up for grabs. I mean, that, that mental kind of torture that we all kind of go did, through. Ben, did you guys have uh, the, the scouts bringing people in every Tuesday? Like yeah. if you were in the training room, mm. did you always see that group? And if you'd see off, you know, for me, if I'd see offensive linemen, you're kind of be like, 
if you saw linebackers, would you guys all kind of look and it became second nature, but you'd also kind of look around and say, huh, it yeah. always was almost like they wanted to make sure you knew you better have your stuff in order or they're pretty replaceable. Uh, yeah, we saw that every Tuesday and yep. um, I don't remember a, a time where I was really nervous about it that, oh my gosh, they brought in a linebacker and I got to be worried. Um, but, you know, definitely when, when I would get banged up and I'd lose some reps either in practice or I'd miss a game here and there, you know, I just hated that Monday breakdown whenever my backup was getting praised, you know, and, and, and I know that's, it's such an kind of an a-hole thing to say, cause you're talking about a teammate, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to see him play well, you know, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to see you having a high grade. <laughs> no, I want them to, I want them to look at the situation. Like, boy, we really need Lieber back. Cause this guy's not very good. But every time they got a plus and a pat on the back, I'm like, shit, like, is this it? Yeah, it is. I don't think people fully understand. I think everybody understands the physical side of it. Fans can see it because you're landing on the line. But there's so many mental gymnastics. And if you don't have the mental fortitude to go, you can't last in this league. You just can't. If you if you let those thoughts creep in and really overtake, everybody feels it. But you have to kind of snap out of it and just say, no, I have to trust in myself that I'm going to do it. And you have to earn that trust from your coaches. But it is so difficult because it's I don't know if it's intentional. I'm, I'm tempted to say it is from organizations to make you feel that way. But you have to be able to embrace that. And that's why there's only 1,700 people that do it yearly because it is really difficult to do mental. Yeah. No, and I think that that is, I'm not a huge proponent of fully guaranteed contracts. Mm-hmm. I see what I see what's happening in the, in the NBA. Now, look, Major League Baseball and the NHL, they also have guaranteed contracts. So it's probably unfair to me just to single out the NBA. But I do worry that if you you start to give guaranteed contracts to all the players, well, then it's going to become a player-driven league. And I do think having the sense of competition and having that, having that pucker effect from these players of like, oh, I got to be motivated every day. You know, I've got to push myself every day and I got to develop a thick skin every day. I think that's what makes the league great, you know? And yeah, I, it, I wonder that if players would go soft and start to, you know, the, the league would change if we went to guaranteed contracts. Yeah, and I, I do. I am glad. I'm, you're, I'm happy to see that more guys are getting more guaranteed money. And some, you know, there's some players that are getting a, a vast percentage of it. But this league, once the competition aspect of it goes, you'll start mm-hmm. seeing slippage. And I, I don't think you're going to see that because there's so many players fighting for so few spots that that's always that's always going to be there, especially in that bottom, you know, 30 guys that are on a roster. That's always going to be there. And I think there's, there is a charm in that, even in some sick way, that you have to mentally <laughs> fry yourself in order to stay, you know, to keep yourself as on edge as you need to to play this game at a high level. Uh, I love that you phrased it that way. Because <laughs> it is sort of a sick, charming way that the, so the it league is operates. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed it. I can't remember. I'm guessing you would come up to Lambo and you'd wear the sleeves. Were you a sleeve guy when you'd come up? Uh, I don't think I wore sleeves in Lambo. So we obviously never could like that. Just, you know, your alignment, you ain't wearing sleeves. I don't care. We played an NFC championship game against the giants. It was 30 some below without wind, not doing it. Then you come back and, you know, I'm doing radio for the Packers a couple years after I'm retired and I'm freezing with like this jacket on and I'm looking at it and saying, how talking to Larry McCarron, I'm like, God, you got to be, I can't believe I did that. He's like, you know, you have to be nuts to play football and then to do it in this weather. And that's when you know your time's up, when you think it's insane to be out there with it, because it was two or three years before I thought it was insane to put sleeves on to be out there playing. I know. It is so funny. It was a couple years maybe a couple years into the sideline gig with the Vikings. And, you know, it's, you know, how it is that perspective down there, you, you do it for both college and the Packers and you're on the sideline and 
you see the hits in real time and up close and personal. It was probably two years, maybe three years out, out of the league. And I'm like, damn, like, Oh God. Like I, that was such a hard hit. Like, Oh my gosh, this guy's running so fast. How do they do it? And I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah, you dumbass. You did that just a couple yeah, years. Yeah. You ago. just, you, you wonder, was it that fast when I played and the answer is probably not, but it's not far off. And no. you just, the, if you can ever fans that ever can get down close and see how fast everything happens, line of scrimmage, it, it's crazy to look at it and think, man, I did that for 11 years. It's, you know, it's, it's a crazy thing to watch in real time when you're out of it for three or four years. And you think, I don't know how the hell I ever did that. And I know I can't do it anymore. No. How many reps do you think you could take in a game right now? I could do if we ran keep passes three times and <laughs> everybody bit on the keep pass, I could still run keep passes. I could not try to block end on his own play. Certainly don't want to have a third and seven uh, up at the Metrodome. I'll be probably rehabbing both my knees if I have to do that. But three keep passes. I could give you three keep passes. What would it take to do a, to do an intentional 10 play two minute drill? <laughs> <laughs> oh man a lot it would take a lot because i don't know if i'm surviving that so yeah 10 plays two minute drive with money on the line i think you could probably muster up one i again i think we'd have to do keep passes a bunch within that and with uh, two minute drill, that's typically not uh not ideal now i gotta ask you this because i always get this question whenever i'm you know talking and yeah when you when you got Favre up to Minnesota, did your whole locker room change? Because I always tell people the best thing, obviously you want to have a stud quarterback, but the best thing about having Favre and Rodgers was that you had 52 other guys in that locker room that never thought you'd lose. And I don't know, did you have that thought when you, and I don't want you to disparage anybody, but when you had a quarterback that was just a guy, mm -hmm. did you always think when you were going up against Favre on the road or going up against Rodgers, that you were on an even playing field, that you were going to win every game you played? Yes. So that that was the that was the craziest thing. And that's why I think, you know, you look at your career with everybody, all of your teammates that played in that era with Favre and overlapping with Rodgers, and even now with Rodgers alone, it's hard to it's hard to explain what that feeling's like until you live it. And there's been a few times in my in my career where I've kind of felt like that as a football player. But when Favre walked into that locker room, there was an immediate, well, not only holy shit, there's Brett Favre, like he's really here, like this is really happening. Um, but everybody just kind of, the whole energy and the mood of the whole organization just sort of lifted up. And there was yeah. this optimism and this hope that we didn't have before. You'd have it for key games here and there, like, okay, I, I'm pretty sure that we're better than this team. We're going to, you know, most likely going to win this this week. But collectively, when we looked at the season and potentially a Super Bowl, it was like that he just floated into the locker room, you know? And so, yes, we felt that. Now, I'll take it a step further. When we played the 49ers, I believe, week three of that season, and we ended that game with a win, a Hail Mary pass to Greg Lewis in the back of the end zone, that play solidified the fact that we have an outright winner. Like we don't, we never had a quarterback in my time there the previous three years that a could have done that. And B, I just don't think that it was, you know, in the cards in the heavens for that to happen. Right. He just, he just brought a different air and yeah, man, you got to see it, you know, you got to, you got to live it and feel it, but we would, we would bound down the ramp of every game knowing, <laughs> all right, we're winning this game. I don't know by how much, I don't know how it's going to look at the end of the game, but we're winning because we got that guy. Yeah. It, it, and fortunately for me, we always had that guy. So I, but I just talking to other players and, you know, everybody, when they report to training camp, all 32 teams think they can win, but realistically, I think the veteran players, they know like, if you don't have that guy, you can maybe strike lightning like, you know, the bears were able to do with Erlocker and their defense getting, you know, just a crazy turnover mark and everything has to fall into place. We always felt like we had margin for error because even if we don't play well, 
we got that guy that can lead us down to get us points at any possession we had. And I always felt like that was such a huge advantage for us now and back then when I played. Yeah. And it's crazy that you've never, you've never felt anything different. Yeah. You know, you've never had that. I mean, maybe, maybe in college, but you guys are pretty damn good in college too. Yeah. You know, and maybe for a different, different reasons, you guys could just ground and pound people to death. You know, you didn't, yeah. you know, maybe it, didn't have it's, a, you know, to me, passing. it's the most fortunate. Yeah. Uh, for my NFL career, it's uh, you, you're incredibly blessed when you have that guy, because even though we had a couple seasons that were clunkers, we legitimately thought we could win a world championship every season we lined up. And it was all spearheaded by having that guy in the locker room. I always put out, you know, I'll tell people the most important attribute. It's not that, you know, Favre and Rogers have great arms and, you know, are great minds and are great quarterbacks. It's, they give everybody else that bound down the tunnel belief that you're talking about it. It was, it's interesting to hear you say that because that's, we felt that every week. And that's such an advantage over the other 31 teams that don't have confidence. It's, it's hard. You can't just manufacture confidence. You can have good practices. You can have good training camps. You can feel really good about it, but there's innately when there's this, this confidence coming from this magnetic figure, it's it's yeah. that that is the intangible everybody looks for. And look, I I don't envy a lot of GMs. It's hard, man. It's hard mm-hmm. to find franchise quarterbacks that have that magnetism, that have those intangibles. And like you said, do they have do they have the A plus plus arm and accuracy? Maybe not when you come to all the testing. I mean, Rogers probably does it this. I mean, late in his career and as he's in his prime, but you know, Favre had a big arm, but you know, he wasn't always the most accurate quarterback. He wasn't the best decision maker, but, (laughs) but you know, the intangibles, that's a hard thing to measure. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, you guys are awfully, awfully lucky. Now, let me ask you a big, a big moment in your life. You know, we see these things all the time every year when it comes to the Super Bowl, when, when it finally strikes zero, the confetti and the balloons and all that stuff are falling down and you see these guys, you know, celebrating, how long did it take you to really fully understand what had happened? You know, what was it the moment the, the clock struck zero or did it take much longer for you to finally say, my God, we really did this thing. We're world freaking champions. Yeah. You know, so that season was really tricky because I, you know, I got injured middle of the season and and it's still, I think a lot of times, you know, you, you feel like if you're not out there playing, it's, it, it doesn't feel yeah. the same. And I, you know, I didn't play, but the bears, it was actually more emotional for me down in Chicago because I'd been to an NFC championship game, been to a bunch of playoff games. And when we finally got it done and that game was such a roller coaster because Cutler gets hurt. It, everybody on the sideline was tearing up that, because you realize you put so much in to get there and you're chasing it for 11, for me, 11 years and two knee surgeries, all the stuff that you go through to try to get to that point. And it's just, it's super emotional. And the, for the Super Bowl, when the confetti's coming down and you have your, you know, I have a three month old kid in my arm, it was, it, you can't really put it into words. You got your family that you grew up with, my brothers, uh, my parents, to to have everybody down there celebrating. It's just really special because they put in so much time and they put in so much, you know, just every, they've given you everything to get in that position. Uh, it's the pinnacle of sports. And when you can do something at that level, uh, it, it's it's just really special. How big was the celebration? We ended up, uh, I, I think Kid Rock played. And, you know, we're going to, you know, win or lose, we booze. I mean, that's yeah. always kind of the way. And it's always more fun, obviously, when you win. But you, you stayed up till 5 or 6 in the morning and then, you know, grab a breakfast at 8 a.m., get on the flight, go home, and we did the parade. And then, you know, that was kind of the way it played. But you, it was, I think everybody just, the organization as a whole, everybody was there. And, you know, it's this huge ballroom. You, you just celebrate and let it rip because it took everybody. We had, I think, 15 or 16 guys on the IR that year. 
and it took 70 some guys to kind of get across the finish line. And I think we all just kind of let it, let it, you know, let the confetti fall and let the celebrations go because even with having two great quarterbacks, it's still really hard to win and things have to fall your way. There have been plenty of teams that are better than that 2010 team. I think Aaron Rodgers probably had three or four, maybe even five teams that he would probably tell you is much more talented, much better from a just being on paper standpoint. But that's the team that, you know, he brought over the, over the hump and you have to have the right mix. It can't just be about, I got four all pros here and I got three on this side. You have to have the mix of guys and the right chemistry to be able to weather what is, you know, just a really difficult journey. That was one year that we were able to get it done. Unrestricted is proud to partner with Jack's Cafe, an iconic Minneapolis steakhouse family owned since 1933. That's four generations of Minnesotans who have made their memories at Jack's Cafe. If you're looking for a date night, a family night, happy hour, a place to eat and drink before or after a game, or just a boozy weekend brunch, head on over to Jack's Cafe in Northeast Minneapolis. Need something more private? Well, Jack's has five private dining spaces for groups ranging from 25 people all the way to 250 people, and you have to see their new outdoor dining space. Rain or shine, it's the freshest new outdoor hangout spot. Just make sure to bring your appetite. This original steakhouse has all the essentials, steaks, chops, ribs, their famous prime rib. But if you're in the mood for fish and seafood, well, Jack's has you covered. Take your pick of fresh lobster right from the live lobster tank. And Jax has a -a one-of-a-kind trout stream right in the backyard. Yep, you want fresh trout? You can hand-select and net the trout that you want. I guarantee you've never tasted something more fresh. So make your way to Jax Cafe and check them out at jaxcafe.com. That's J-A-X-C-A-F-E.com. An original steakhouse serving steaks, not trends. We talked about the intangibles that that Favre had and that Rodgers has. Um, did you know when, when Rodgers came in that did he have that right away or he, did he sort of grow into that, that, that persona, you know, the, yeah. the, his, I, the air about himself? I think he, he definitely had physical talent. Like, I can remember our offensive line coach, James Camp, and we would be sitting there. You know, usually if you're not in, you're, you know, you're still paying attention, but you're not as focused, yeah. especially in August or, you know training camp and I can remember him backing up like uh second second team just rewinding this over and over and we're all kind of like what the hell are you doing and it was a red zone throw that Rodgers threw his rookie season an absolute dart right in the middle of the field that you know he shouldn't have probably even thrown and he just said to us this kid's going to be special Hmm. and then you start watching him you know making certain plays and make you know, taking the scout team on like it was his Super Bowl. And then that you could just see his emotional growth and that he was ready to take over a team. And then when he got to play, we were in Dallas and we were both 10 and one. And it's kind of, we figured if we would win, we could, you know, get the one seed. Brett gets hurt early in the game. We're getting smoked. And he took ownership of the team and let us down. And we ended up getting beat in a close game. But that was the moment I believe that the front office saw, we know this kid can play and it's going to be time to move forward with him after the season. I, I firmly believe that that was what kind of spurred them on. So his talent was always there. I think the fact that he was able to grow into it and not get thrown into the fire right away and being able to learn all the stuff that Favre could teach him, whether it was voluntary or just the you know, osmosis, it was the best thing that ever happened to Aaron Rodgers, and I think he'd be the first to admit that. Yeah. You know, you you brought up an interesting point, and we, I'm sure you guys have talked about it on your radio show when it happened, and even the weeks afterwards, was this whole idea with Tannehill this offseason, talking about publicly, it's not my job to mentor these young quarterbacks. You know, it's not my job to teach this kid X's and O's. It's not my job to teach them the way to be successful in the NFL. You saw it firsthand with with Favre and Rodgers. Now they they had you know it sounds like publicly some some disagreements on how that whole thing played out. But um, even for you, how did you approach that situation when they would draft 
or bring in an off a yeah. young offensive lineman that maybe was going to take your spot. Were you the mentor yeah. or no? You know what? It was really easy for me because when I first got to Green Bay, the Frankie Winters and the Raleigh McKenzie's that both guys 15 years plus, they were really open and honest with me about the playbook, what it took to be a pro. And I don't think you're ever going to, you know, like go ridiculously out of your way. But if Brian Bulaga had questions, I was more than happy to answer them about what, you know, what you look for when you're watching film, what you're doing this. So you're going to, I think you want to be the best player. You don't want to win a job because you trip somebody down the steps and they break their ankle. Or, you know, if somebody is better than you, that's life. You have to deal with that. So it was never a case where I was going to be like over the top. You need to do this. You need this. But guys that are interested in asking questions and leaning on you as a older player, I looked at that as a great honor. That was as a rookie. I wanted to be in the position. I wanted to ask Frankie, how did you get here? How have you lasted 15, 16 years? Same with Raleigh. You want to get to that point so that you can give that knowledge and, and you still believe that you're the best player. And if you're not, you're not going to have that job regardless. Being a shitty mentor isn't going to make you play in the league longer. You being a good teammate and helping guys and playing well is going to keep you in the league a lot longer than you lying about what you do on a box two XY hook for, you know, the protection scheme. That wasn't going to be the difference between me making the team and me not. Yeah. But it might be a little different if you're an offensive lineman and there's five guys and potentially, you know, you might be leaning on the old veteran center who does not feel threatened by a right tackle and blah, blah. you look at, you look at individual positions, kickers, um, you know, maybe not so much the X's and O's, but you look at quarterbacks, there's only one spot. Yeah. You know, there's only one spot. That's a small room. Um, there's not a lot of other people to lean on. I think it's an interesting, I'm, I am with you. I think you answered it perfectly that you don't go out of your way to be a dick, but you also should be there. If they have a question, you should feel free. Like, yeah, man. Hey, so what I look at on this particular play is this, this, and this, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you don't, you don't sit down with them every morning and say, okay, here's all my, my dirty secrets to the game. And here's how I cheat this game a little bit. Or here's some tips and pointers. Like, but if they have a question, specific questions, they should feel free to answer that. For sure. Yeah. And I think with Favre and Rogers, where it was, I think, misconstrued, obviously you draft a quarterback in the first round, you, your clock is ticking. And the same thing happened with, you know, Aaron, when Jordan Love got drafted, he was obviously irritated. Now somehow he has unwound that clock, thrown the watch away and it's, and, and he withstood that. And now it's his deal. But you're still going to, even if you're not trying to, you're going to be mentored because what do you think? Aaron Rodgers was watching how Brett interacted with his teammates, how he interacted with his coaches, the equipment guys, you know, watching film. So even if he didn't want to mentor, he was still going to mentor just by going through his process. And I think after a couple of years, Brett embraced that a lot more. And, you know, obviously he passed the torch when he didn't want to pass the torch and he wanted to come up by you guys. You know, he was trying to get that, you know, the, how that all played out was just an, an insane, crazy times. But Aaron Rodgers learned a ton just by watching Brett, just like, you know, if you're as a linebacker, you're going to go through a deal. And yeah, you're not handing your job on a silver platter to some kid, but you're also not taking the, you know, taking a battery ram to his face there's a balancing act and it's, you're going to do what's in your best interest, but you're also going to be a good team. And if you're not, you're more than likely haven't lasted long enough in the league. You're not going to last long because if you're not a good teammate, it's really hard to, to be on a team. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. I think there's certainly, um, there's an ethical balance. I think that we all yeah. play because I never, I know some guys are probably comfortable with it, but I didn't want to be, be viewed as a bad teammate by other teammates, you know? And yeah, I didn't want just because I was insecure about my spot and I'm maybe a jerk to the guy that's behind me. I didn't want my teammates to be like, 
man, you're, you're being an asshole, man. <laughs> you know, and that sort of, that sort of happened with me and Sean Merriman when I was in San Diego, they drafted, I mean, here he is a first round outside linebacker in a three, four system, which I was not the typical three, four outside linebacker. So I knew the writing on the wall. Um, I helped him out a little bit, but I was not going to go out of my way. You know, I wasn't mm -hmm. just going to give him all of my trade secrets you know he had to still earn yeah and it's i mean it's also different when you're a late pick and a first round pick comes in a lot of times the first round picks think they know everything and they think these jobs are going to be handed in, and they're not i mean yes they want the first round pick to play because it makes them look smart but it doesn't mean they're going to play and you 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 know you hold them off as long as you can and you do what you can but Again, I just I never viewed being an ass was going to end up being anything positive for me. That yeah. just never that never was in my mindset. It was, but it was also not my mindset that, oh, here you go. Why don't you take these reps from me? It was the exact opposite. Yeah, we'll see, Mark, because you're a good person. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so I know we're we're gonna have to wrap yeah. up here yep. a little bit, but I gotta hear the Favre Childress. Escalade pickup story and how that all started and how it ended with Childress and Favre. Because I heard you, you made some news. I think it was maybe last year with Childress. Because Childress, Brad Childress, I'll tell you one thing. I use more quotes from him because he had some, don't confuse effort with results. And then one of my, we we're out in Las Vegas and he was the offensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And we're out there and we're having a good time on the bus because we're a bunch of 18, 19 year old kids. And he just turns around and we're laughing. He goes, God damn it, man. I don't understand why you guys are laughing. There's nothing funny out here. Now, if you guys see a clown, now a clown. Now that's funny. Now you can laugh at a clown. When he was trying to explain to us what we could laugh at and what we couldn't, that's when I started thinking, all right, Chili, Chili ended up, you know, he ended up having an NFL head coaching career, but he was a quotable head football coach. He was. I I appreciated Brad because I thought that if your job is to motivate guys on a daily basis or weekly basis, I actually saw, thought there was real effort by him. You could tell that he would sit at his head coaching desk and he would figure out, try to figure out ways to make things relatable and to make us think a little bit harder about what we were doing. And I thought that was, I appreciated that. I mean, he always had little, little things for us every Saturday night before a game, whether it's an acorn and why it represents an Oak tree and all this whole thing, right? Little long winded, but I appreciated it. The reason why I made two, two things there. The reason why I made headlines or he made headlines last year is because he called me out, which he thought that I was the one that created the word schism in the locker room with, between he and Favre. He's a hundred percent wrong. Um, I never went to the media. I didn't even know what the fuck that word was. When, when I saw it break, when I saw it break early on way back when it originally happened and it said like schism in the Vikings locker room, I was like, I don't even know what a schism is. So for him <laughs> to think, so for him to think that I created that whole controversy, look, I've come to find out that there was, there was a few people that he trusted in that organization that had the wrong information they attached myself because I was friendly with the media. I did interviews, but I wasn't behind the scenes feeding them information about what was going on. Um, they thought because I was friendly with the media, I was the mole. And so he had it under his skin for 11 years that he thought I was the mole and he's wrong. Um, even our, even our head of PR at the time who knows who said it told him Lieber's not the guy that said that. He still didn't believe him, right? So I, to this day, have no idea who said that. I have my theories. Um, even in, in anyway, Brad got it wrong. He blasted me on Paul Allen's show out of nowhere. I have no idea where it come where it came from or where it comes from. It's bullshit. Um, the thing the thing with he and Favre. So I don't know if you're familiar with the story that um, Favre was rumored to go, to go to us the previous year. You know, when he went to the Jets. Yeah. Well, no, he, yeah, Brett definitely wanted to go right from, yeah. matter of fact, everybody in Green Bay thought Minnesota tampered. I'd be right. shocked if they didn't because you said it. You want him in your locker room. Right. So be, because of the all the connections, right, with, with Bevel, Bevel and, and, Ch yep. and Childress and all this stuff, 
we heard the same things that you guys heard. We heard the previous year that we were going to try to make a trade for him. So we thought it was going to happen the previous year before he even went to the Jets. And then when everything kind of broke down and then the Packers basically said, to my knowledge, all right, we're going to let you go. We're going to let you have your way, but you're not going to any NFC North team, especially not the Vikings. So yeah. you have to take a pit stop somewhere. And then the Vikings pick you up after that. Fine. All, all fair. So that's, that's basically the story. You know, they tried desperately to bring him in. Packers said no, which they should have. And um, he goes off to the, the one year hiatus with the jets. He goes and lives in purgatory for a little bit. Um, it ends up obviously being a major factor for our 2010 season with Jen Sturger. But, um, you know, that he had to take that little pit stop before he come to the Vikings. So that's, mm -hmm. that's really the story that, so, you know, the story. Yeah, no, I'm talking about picking him up. And then obviously, you know, I've talked to Brett a bunch, the, the fallout and it, it just, as a Packer fan, and this is something we've talked to Brett about, he wouldn't answer it. If he led you guys, and you guys were the best team that year. You guys were oh, we know that. stacked. Yeah. And the way the Saints game played out, I have to admit, I was happy. I did not want to see Favre go win a championship with you guys. <laughs> but do you think he would be embraced back in Green Bay if he led the Minnesota Vikings to their only world championship ever? Yes. Yeah. I, I tend to agree, but it would not have been as smooth and it would not no, have been as quick. No, because I do think in this situation, because he's such a legend and such an icon, time would heal all wounds. I don't think that the the welcome back ceremony that happened when it did that would have happened five, eight, maybe 10 years later, Yeah, you know? So eventually I think the Packers fans would forgive him because look, everybody, everybody ends up having a, a much more stellar career as time goes on. You know, you kind of forget some of the bad yep. things and um, you forget some of the warts and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I, I do think that you guys would have embraced him. The fans would have embraced him um, and, it would have been awesome. It would have been awesome for us, but it didn't happen. Yeah, okay. it would have been good for you guys, but that was one. Uh, yeah, there. it was just, you guys were, that was, and we put so much energy that year into beating you guys because I think our staff and front office was so pissed mm -hmm. at how it played out on your end. And I think there was just a lot, like there's always animosity and there always will be. I still can't believe that your new GM traded and let the Packers grab Christian Watson. I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. I was shocked and people are like, what do you mean? You got the best value because now if Christian Watson is anything, your fan base is going to be livid and it's, you're going to be watching, but that's where we, we put so much energy in. And when y'all beat us at Lambeau, it really took the wind out of our sails. Like it was, it was such an emotional, never had I seen game. There have been plenty of emotional games, Favre with his dad passing and playoff games. The amount of emotion that day at Lambeau when Brett came back, I don't think you can replicate. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I know that I have to be careful because I work with the team, but I'm, dude, we did it twice this last draft. We, we traded with the Lions. They got the receiver they wanted. They traded with you guys, and you guys got the receiver that you wanted. And a lot of people, obviously, being so close to, to NDSU, are really high on this kid. And yeah. look, we all know how this works. You know, it's going to be – it could be five, four or five years before we really look back and say that was a smart move and that wasn't a smart move. But you know every yard and every touchdown that this defense faces – uh, and the foreseeable future with these two wide receivers is going to be accounted towards this draft. And it's like, Hey, if they didn't, if they didn't have this player, if they didn't make this trade, this, this guy's not beating you and burning you for a red zone touchdown. I mean, that's yeah. just, that's just facts, you know? Yeah. It'll be fascinating to watch, but it's always fun. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a, it's just a really, I think a great rivalry because I think our States are so similar, but it, it really is fun. And we, I know we love as, you know, passing memes around about championships. We want to make sure we want to keep that Vikings championship uh, mantle as clean as possible, because I don't, I don't know what we do with our, our Minnesota friends. If we can't send that meme out to everybody. <laughs> Look, your, your trophies are dusty and our mantles are dusty. <laughs> Amen. Hey dude. Thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate it. This was a, this is a fun conversation. Yeah. Awesome. Anytime, Ben.
Yeah, man. Best of luck to you. And uh, we'll talk soon, man. Sounds good. See All right. See you. Well, that is going to do it for us here at Unrestricted. Well, I want to thank Mark Tauscher for his time. I know you guys enjoyed his conversation. He's obviously easy to talk to, and I was so happy that the conversation just flowed. Um, very insightful, great personality. Uh, love that dude, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Again, check him out on Wild and Tausch, 9 a.m. to noon every single day on ESPN Madison and ESPN Wisconsin. And I'm sure there's a lot of ways to stream those as well and podcast those as well. So uh, thanks again to Mark. Thank you guys as the fans. Thank you guys for reaching out with your suggestions and all that stuff. Uh, Use BenLieber.com. You can go there and contact me through the email function, or you can just leave a comment on the Apple podcast platform. You're allowed to leave comments there and I will see those um, as well. And I will try to respond to those emails. Um, cannot respond to the comments, although I wish I could. So thank you guys for uh, contacting me, for liking this podcast, for giving it stars and promoting this podcast to all of your friends and family and loved ones. I also want to thank my sponsor, Jack's Cafe. Please check out Jack's Cafe, the historic steakhouse in historic Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, remember, if it's a date night for two people, maybe it's four people, maybe it's 200 people, maybe it's 300 people, they have everything that you need to throw a great party or a great date night. Go to Jack's Cafe, it's J-A-X-C-A-F-E, to go there to book your reservations for all sorts of party sizes for an outstanding night. Uh, again, they're serving steaks, not trends. And please check out their patio. They have the best happy hour patio in the Twin Cities. And I'm telling you, you have to go see it to believe it. So go to Jack's Cafe and jackscafe.com. All right, that's going to do it for us here. And um, you guys all have a great week. I will be talking to you guys on the next one. Have a great one. See ya. See ya.